Hello team and welcome to episode 438 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Kirk McCarley. Kirk is a life and career coach and a production assistant for major college sports for ESPN. Kirk believes that we all have the ingredients for success within us and in the work that he does, he guides his clients on how they can find these ingredients and create the life that they truly want. In this episode, you can expect to learn what are the right questions to ask if you want a different outcome in your life, how to discover the gifts that are already inside of you and bring them out, along with how Kirk continues to stay active after 65 and why he believes anyone his age or older can do the same. So without further ado, Kirk McCauley. Kirk McCauley, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm good, Elliot. Thank you for having me. The pleasure is truly mine. I'm excited to get into today's conversation. But before we do, for the listeners who may have not come across yourself before, can you give us a bit of context about who you are and what it is that you do? I reside in the States, specifically Northwest Florida. We're about a half a mile from the Gulf of Mexico. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. And what I do vocationally is I have I'm a member of the gig economy at 66 years old. <laughs> I am a executive career and life coach. I am a employee of the Disney Corporation. They've got a little subsidiary called ESPN, and I do some production work for them in uh, athletics. And I'm also a group exercise instructor, specifically focusing on spinning. Had a class this morning, in fact. Yeah, I was very interested when I was reading through your bio of all the diverse range of things that you continue to do. What keeps you motivated to stay on top of these different activities? A lot of people will be saying that, you know, when you get to 66, you're approaching your 70s, maybe it's time to wind down, but it looks like you're doing anything but that. I've got to stay in motion. My biggest enemy, Elliot, is idleness. So what can I be involved in on this particular day is how I approach each day and a fabulous day is the one where I can get to do all three of those disciplines in one game. It may be a spinning class at 6 a.m. here in the States to start that off, followed by a encounter with a client from a coaching standpoint, and then darting off to go work a college athletic event. That is a perfect day for me. <laughs> Somewhere in between interacting with my lovely wife of 43 years, touching base with my kids, but that is what I really enjoy doing. And it's what energizes and feeds me, the mind-body connection, if you will. Absolutely. And was it always this way? Was Kirk very much the similar way in his 20s, his 30s, his 40s, etc.? I would like to say that I was, but probably not as heavily wired as I am at this point in time. There was more idleness, but it was more exploring, learning, observing at that point in time, which is what I do in my coaching practice and kind of what I do in life. And it took me to the age of 60 to discover what it was that I really wanted to do. Once I made that discovery, it was full tilt into that. In my 20s and 30s, greater athleticism, things hurt now <laughs> when I get up and do them. But in spite of that hurt, the pain informs me that I'm still around and still able to do it. Yeah, and you must come across a lot of different people who are in their 60s, or maybe they're even younger than you, they're in their 50s, and they're potentially thinking maybe they're getting too old to start something new or too old to do X, Y, or Z. What is your take on that when they come to you with those type of messages? I look at people who have been in my life or others that are more famous that we know of uh -huh. and what they did later in life. Jack LaLanne, the exercise guru of long ago was pulling tugboats in the San Francisco Bay Harbor at the age of 70. Edward Deming, the father of total quality management that then morphed into Lean and Six Sigma, he wasn't discovered in this country until he was 70. Astronaut John Glenn went into space at 77. Paul McCartney, Went to a concert of his several years back. He was 74, 75 at the time, Elliot. Wow. He did a two and a half hour set without a break and without taking a sip of anything. And I said at that time, I want to be like these guys when I grow up. So seeing people we know of 
and then people we just encounter in everyday life is inspiration and motivation. I got into spinning when the gauntlet was tossed by Bob, who was in a spinning class with me. Bob was 75 at the time. Bob's 92, 93 now, and still teaching spinning classes. No way. His challenge to me back then, Kirk, we ought to become instructors. When the challenge is put down, I couldn't turn it down. I love that story. And I think it's particularly inspiring for those who are maybe in their younger years, just hungry to notice how much life they have in front of them. And I think there needs to be more stories like this in the sense of opening up people's opportunities. I spoke to a lady who was in her 50s, not too old whatsoever, but she was talking about having like the second act because she started looking after her health. She recognized that there was this ability to go into the second act of her life, looking at the first 50 years as the first and then going into the second as a way to say like we're just getting started you know we're just midway through we're just having our interval right now and because we are looking after ourselves and we're taking care of our health we're not only starting well the first act was all through this you know learning this experience this life that we didn't know but the second act comes with all of this experience so i'm coming with all of this experience i have a good amount of knowledge i have my health in place as well so this second act is set to be even better than the first She's absolutely right, Elliot. I wish I still had my 20-year-old body, but I don't anymore. <laughs> but I've got 46 more years of wisdom on top of that, knowing better how to compensate, how to stand down when I need to. Mm -hmm. And particularly in getting away from the fitness standpoint, a communications perspective, I always had to have something to say. Now I have something to listen to and I'll often get responses from people, aren't you going to say anything? And I'll sometimes say, no, not right now. I need to listen a little bit more before I do. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious to dive into that 47 years of experience as well. Obviously, you've taken that into the field of coaching and you work with clients in terms of bringing the best out of themselves. And one of your personal philosophies is understanding that the client in front of you has their own ingredients for success inside of them. And I love that concept because I really do think that, especially with being a health and fitness coach and you've seen as being an executive and life coach as well, that usually when you ask the right questions, it's not you coming up with the wisdom, it's usually the other person who has it already inside of them. So I'm very curious to get this understanding of how you extract that out of people with the people that you're working with and how can you encourage people to do the same who are potentially not working with a coach at this moment inside? I start from a position of curiosity. I meet so many interesting people such as yourself and others from not only the States, but around the world Ever. and perspective that they have is just so valuable. And it's so amazing to me how the world gets smaller as we go through things. I've got a client right now who played college football and I had worked with ESPN that prior weekend with someone who was a teammate of his at the same school. And so just pairing those things together and making that connection starts to build relationship. The thing I like about coaching and that it offers to clients is we get few opportunities in life for somebody to listen to us very intentionally and with a high amount of focus and with a high amount of interest and not judgmentally. That's what coaching provides, and you can almost see it in clients that I meet with. They start to relax. They start to breathe. The tension melts away, and I really get to hear what makes them tick, what their dreams, what their passions are, and then we can start walking together on that path towards where they want to go with those things that are embedded within themselves. Yeah, and in terms of extracting those things that are embedded, I mean, the first question I have to begin with is why are they so embedded in the first place and why are they so hard to see to begin with? We all have a lot of fear and there is a strong correlation uh, between fear and anger. So we manifest that fear through lashing out or becoming passive aggressive, bottle things up, clam it up. A opportunity needs to first of all be presented. This is safe. This is a trusting environment. It's confidential. For me, it's, it's very sacred when I uh, encounter someone. 
tell me what's on your mind and allowing that time to process quiet. It's interesting because I was, this is about a year ago, I was exposed to the fact that here in the States, we have about a one second pause between someone saying something and the other person answering with that. So we're seeking not so much to listen or understand, but to respond back. In some European cultures, it's minus one half second. In some of the Asian cultures, there can be a gap of six, seven, eight seconds, time to process, to say things, to say more. And so I've tried to build that into my approach in coaching. And it's interesting to see some clients get a little bit squirmish or uncomfortable with that of, aren't you going to say something to which I respond, I'm waiting for you to say more. What else would you like to say? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that concept. It's something that I've tried to employ more in my life as well. And I've gotten comfortable within those silences. And like you said, when you're on the side of that, when you kind of have an idea that makes people uncomfortable, it's amazing what people do to try and fill those gaps. And I think that as you've noticed, and as maybe you've kind of alluding to here is that we're trying to fill those gaps all the time. It's like, okay, maybe we want our true essence or our intuition to come out, but we need something to do just in case it comes out because of then the fear of failure or the overthinking comes in. And then realistically, we put ourselves into a position where we get paralysis by analysis. So just giving ourselves that time to stop and think, I think is unbelievably valuable. And so actually, like you said, process the other person is saying as well. So obviously that's easy enough to do when someone has a coach in front of them, maybe a therapist in front of them. There's a lot of people who don't have that person or that safe space to go into. Do you have any advice for those people who maybe don't have that environment just yet? to start listening to their intuition a little bit more and trying to get some answers, which they're truly looking to find? Well, again, we tend to gravitate towards what's safe, what we're comfortable with. And I think the first step, and I heard this in a church message just recently, stepping out of our comfort zone, there are different viewpoints, different opinions to be considered. And so exposing us to those, reading something that makes us squirm just a little bit, we're uncomfortable with, to start to open up our horizons a little bit. With that comes some freedom, some liberty to start considering other things. Who is someone that I have uh, not connected with for a while, or I think we don't like each other? What about making that connection? I had a friend of mine here when COVID hit, he was retired, but he set a discipline of contacting people that he had formerly worked with. How are you dealing with this pandemic? What are the challenges that you're facing? How has work changed for you having to work remotely or not working at all or being furloughed? And he found that people were so gratified by him reaching out. God, it's good to hear from you. But not just that, but that fed him as well because he got that feeling, I've maybe made a little bit of a difference in this individual's life today. So my advice, seek those opportunities out. Who can you connect and network with? And don't feel that you're encroaching on upon them. It may be they need to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. And it brings me back to a quote that I've heard many, many times, which is be the change that you seek in the world, right? And Ultimately, I think if you start to open up that channel, it allows people to respond in that way. I was actually speaking to another guy about the concept of the five love languages, and I was talking to him about how we get the response back. How do we get the love languages that we're looking for? He was like, just give, give without expectation, and you'd be amazed at how much it comes back to you as well. So I feel like we're kind of beating on the same drum from that perspective too. So we start opening up, we start opening ourselves, we start to see some of these qualities come out. And I can imagine taking the next step towards the path of where we want to go comes with, like we said, these fears, these insecurities. What are some of the biggest obstacles that you see in the way of people going towards their, their greatness, essentially, and towards the place and the path that they want to go on? What are some of the obstacles that you see mainly? And how do you overcome those with the clients that you work with? Well, the number one thing we touched on it earlier is fear. I don't think I can do this. I don't think I'm worthy of it. 
I'm going to be judged or assessed by others. And it just feels a lot safer to not step out boldly in that direction. I see it in careers where the average person here in the States, I know, will change careers four to five times in their lifetime. So I'll get clients that are on the hamster wheel of life, so to speak, and deep down inside, they really want to get off. I want to try something new, try something different, but I've got a family to support. I've got people that have certain expectations of me. It's going to be safer in the long run doing this. And so what I hear them start to do is counting down days until they retire. But then, okay, you make it there. What comes next? How is this going to be better for you? And oftentimes there's not an answer that goes along with that. So fundamentally getting back to or overcoming the things we fear. And I had a good friend of mine years ago. She gave some good advice and I gave her some good advice that I didn't realize that I did. But I was dealing with fear and anxiety at the time. She said, go towards that. What it is, what it is that you fear, go in that direction to overcome it. My advice to her, she had fear of flying. And she just shared this with me a couple of weeks ago. She said, you told me to try to fall asleep on a plane. I did that. And that was the remedy. <laughs> so we're both grateful to each other for that. So you never know who we're going to encounter that's going to have an answer for you. So listen well. You may hear something that is said just the right way, parsed in the right language. It's going to motivate you towards what it is you want. Yeah, it's fascinating that sometimes the message wrapped in the beautiful way that we think that it needs to be delivered doesn't always hit home. And then it's just that pro yeah, it's just that off-the-cuff message that someone says in passing that seems to sit with us and sometimes transform the course of our life very much like the friend that you just spoke about and the advice she gave back to you as well. And I'm particularly interested in terms of you mentioning you know, the anxiety you were feeling and traveling down the path of that anxiety as well. Obviously, it wasn't going to be easy to face that head-on. What type of approach did you take? Did you take the smallest step possible into moving towards that? Or did you essentially chase it head on and go, okay, well, if I'm going to go into this, I'm going to go all the way through it. And what advice do you give to the clients that you're working with? Do you advise small steps or enormous steps to try and overcome these certain situations that people are going through? I'm glad you asked that question because in my thirties, I was dealing with a lot of fear and anxiety, self-confidence issue, mm. not feeling I was worthy. I started playing that dangerous game of comparison other people are doing this, they're more successful, they're happier, their families are more satisfied with their father figure that's there, which was me at the time with young kids. I'm just not happy with that. So I felt like I was in the wilderness. I had a good friend who was in a men's group with me, and he knew that I was going through this struggle. He said, I like you a lot. You're a good friend. I'm going to do something for you. There's a counselor that I know of, and I've had experience with him. And what you'll find is he'll say something that's really going to resonate. Mm -hmm. So I'll pay for the session. And he did. So I was meeting with this guy. He was asking me what all's going on in my life. And I told him, I'm a person of faith. So I said, I feel like I'm in the wilderness. And I keep reaching out to God and asking for answers to get me out of this wilderness experience. And I'm relying on him, God, about more than I ever had oh. at any point in my life. He listened to what I said, and he responded back, that you're exactly where you need to be. Now, I'm not going to say everything became a bowl of cherries after that, but over the course of time, that was somewhat of a catalyst and a launch towards things are going to get better. My self-worth is going to improve. I'm going to hopefully become a better husband and a father. I'm going to grow professionally and eventually have the confidence that when I got to the point in time that I was ready to explore this new career of coaching, I could do that more boldly. But it took time. It wasn't months. It was years. But I go back to that, I go back to also the moment I had with a health scare 
when I was 57, that's nine years ago, I was working out at the gym and all of a sudden the world went black. Next thing I knew, I had paramedics on top of me. Wow. What's your name? What's your date of birth? Wheeled me in the hospital and four days later, I was filleted. It was a triple bypass. Elliot, that shouldn't happen to me. I'm a group exercise instructor. I'm in good shape. But it did, and it was very necessary because it was the catalyst of illustrating to me how short life is and that, son, let's get it in gear. Let's go chase your dreams now. And I've been blessed to have nine years post-op since then this month. And just amazing things have happened to me. So I'm not wishing a wilderness experience for anyone or a cardiac episode, but I am saying pay attention to these important points in life because they can be translated into something that's even better beyond what your dreams are into the future. Yeah, I really love that point. And I think that those moments come always at the right time. And there could have been the temptation to look at it, like you said, initially, why me? I'm the group exercise instructor. This shouldn't happen. And some people do stay in that resentment and that bitterness. But on the other hand, there's people who recognize that, wow, I got a second opportunity. And that sounds like exactly the way that you took it as well. And what I'm very curious about with anyone who has traveled this wilderness path, as you call it, is how did you gather the strength to continue going when you potentially didn't see the results that you wanted to see? I think that that's maybe even a particularly big challenge with young people at this moment in time, just due to the fact that everything is so instant. We live in a world, and you have kids as well, so I'm curious to hear from this from a parenting perspective as well. Everything is so immediate. There is a lot of short-term gratification, and the art of long-term gratification is really starting to be lost, to be completely honest. So I'm curious to get an idea of how you first did it and how you see, especially the younger members of society right now, having the ability to have the strength and faith to keep going and essentially just make sure that they don't get lost in the immediacy of things. Well, first of all, Elliot, I love young people and I learned so much. It helps keep me more technologically adept and <laughs> not any more less hip than I already am. <laughs> and I remember my parents 50 years ago would talk about all oh, the youth of today, they just don't get it. Crazy kids, what's the world coming to? And I thought at the time, then why do I even want to be around if this is what the future is going to be? Mm. So I'm very careful. And I appreciate the teens and the 20s and younger and a little bit older for the way they look at life, the curiosity that's there, the why, the what if. It reminds me of that point in time for me. So for the younger people, the younger listeners that are tuning into our podcast, life is a marathon and we need to pace ourselves through that, but pace it with small victories along the way. It's a marathon that we don't know when it's going to end, but there's going to be water stations along the way. We're going to feel the achievement when we've hit mile seven or mile 11 along the way of life. We're going to enjoy that run. It's going to be grueling at times, but we're preparing ourselves for that. We're going to see some amazing things. There are going to be fellow runners that are on that journey with us that we can rely on, that are going to motivate us, that are going to keep us accountable along the way. And that finish line is just going to be magnificent when you get there. But again, we don't know when that is. Keep running. Keep going. You need to take a break or take a detour. That's okay. There may be something that's interesting over there that needs to be considered or looked at. We need to have the curiosity sometimes of kittens who are playing with a ball of yarn and somebody tosses the other ball of yarn out there and it's like, oh, let me go see what this one does for me now. <laughs> that curiosity and that intrigue that goes with it. Yeah, I think that we can take a lot away from that curiosity aspect because I think that if we continue to open the door to new paths, then we're only going to either find something that is not for us, which is great because that 
opens the door for what is for us and we might find that we tried to take that detour but it was the original path that we need to keep traveling down or vice versa it's actually not the original path but it was in fact the detour and the route that we now need to go down as well so i really like that aspect of curiosity and do you encourage your kids to kind of keep that nature of curiosity what do you think about when it comes to trying to remove that kind of short-term gratification mindset and that idea behind everything kind of needs to happen at this moment Well, take time to smell the roses along the way. Love your families. Love those that you encounter. And be bold in trying new things. Especially proud of my daughter because she's a mother. She's got a couple of kids and her and her husband are doing a great job with that. But she's gotten into a little side vocation with wedding planning and coordinating things. And she was extremely good at that. Because she's all five foot one of herself, but she's not afraid to stand up to anyone. (laughs) And if the band is not doing what she thinks they need to do, she's going to tell them. She's got strong opinions, but she's got good instincts on things like that. So I'm proud of her in that regard of what she is discovering along the path that she would have never considered when she was going to school and getting her education. And for both her and my son and their significant others and their kids, I'm going to be really intrigued with their pathways of discovery as well. Yeah, absolutely. And not only within your kids, but you must see a lot of your clients go through this transition from where they maybe feel a little bit stuck. Maybe they don't feel like they're fulfilling their potential. They know they've got more in them, but they just don't know where to go. And then obviously on the other side of that is best case scenario. You know, they're filled with what they know that they need to do and wants to they are starting to reach their potential they're traveling down the path that excites them and that they want to go down and i'm curious to understand the characteristics and the value difference maybe between those two sets of individuals when you see someone first contact you in the first place maybe a little bit uncertain maybe a little bit doubtful compared to going through the other side what are some of the characteristic traits that you see with the people who are haven't quite gotten started yet or maybe feel a little bit stuck compared to those who have come out on the other side who are living essentially their best life? Well, the metamorphosis in some cases is an aha time for me of look what's happened, look what you've done. I had a woman about a year ago, professional executive, and when I first started meeting with her, it was a very insular encounter. It was work, work, work. But as we went along... And she grew more comfortable in our relationship. I started learning about family. I learned about values. And this happened over the course of time, over several meetings, that by the end, we had connected through social media. I was seeing pictures of family events that she was participating in. Uh She got the new job that she was looking for. So just that growth of self-confidence that took place. So that's one example. Had another person who had had something like nine jobs over a 14-year period, and he came to me, and it was kind of like, okay, what's the next job going to be? And it was sort of like, whoa, 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 let's step back a little bit. Is this traditional workplace setting really working for you? And so we started to tear that apart and examine that and finally came to the conclusion He needed to be his own boss. He needed to set up his corporation, his LLC, and embark upon something that was going to be fulfilling to him. So his trip was rerouted just a bit, Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what he's done. And he's thriving in that role. The traditional approach did not work for him. He needed to have his own enterprise. One other example of a woman, this was some years ago when I first launched into coaching, again, kind of introverted and fearful. We worked through building self-confidence, and by the end of that time, she discovered that she was comfortable working in historical part in era-type outfit, like it was a pioneer park. She dressed as a pioneer and was a tour guide there, and not only that, but later, canvas votes door to door for a particular political candidate. So just that self-confidence that grew in who she was, so rewarding to her and just a hallelujah moment for me 
in her case and the other two as well. Yeah, so a huge aspect of your work is getting to people to a place where they truly feel confident in themselves. And I know a lot of people usually get started with myself on a health and fitness journey, for example, and they lack a lot of confidence. They've maybe had examples in the past of them trying a tailing, doing the same thing over and over again, or even trying different things and just kind of being sick and tired of being sick and tired to a degree. And they come in with this huge lack of confidence and it is probably one of the most challenging things we have to work on initially is them to actually have the belief that they even can. So when someone comes to you through the door with very little confidence, especially when like that guy, for example, he's on his ninth employment in 14 years, and now he's being told that he's probably better suited to going down their own path of going into an entrepreneurial route when he's had that security of a job, he's had that comfort of knowing that that's where he's safe, and he has no kind of security of going in this direction. How does someone start to take that step towards becoming more confident so they actually have the tenacity and they have the ability to take that next step? Maybe deep down they know they should, but they just don't have any real example in their life of why that might be a good idea in terms of the outcome of that potential path that they're going to take, essentially. We all have our personal stories that are individual to us, and we've all faced obstacles, roadblocks, disappointments, denials over the course of time. Those become our stories and they're unique to us. So how can you take what's happened that is negative to you in the past and apply it for good for someone, something, some type of product? So resilience and perseverance come into play an awful lot. And when this obstacle has met you, why do you have to go over it? Might there be a way of going around it? Might there be a way to build something that is allowed, going to allow you to overcome it? What is a different way that we can look at that yeah. and through that experience, apply it? We'll take someone, for instance, that has a, a physical disability, let's say, for instance. How can you relate to someone in a unique way that those of us that has all faculties cannot if you're blind, for instance, you're going to have a, an acute sense of hearing, maybe verbal communication that's going to take over. If you're hearing impaired, it may be the same way visually or with written communication. So these obstacles that you've confronted, how can they be of value uniquely for you that's going to help somebody else in a way that you never thought possible? So these things that we confront times in the wilderness, cardiac episodes. Okay, what are you going to do with that now? That's the condition. Apply something. And that becomes the motivational tool. Yeah, absolutely. In many ways, it's continuing to be able to see the light. And I think that that's one of the core components is just making sure that even through all of the darkness and the moments in your life that maybe you can't quite see the value from just yet, it's recognizing that there will be another side to that story and this tragedy will essentially become your triumph and it's not always the way in which we think it will be. But I like the concept of looking at things like when you go through a challenging experience, for example, and maybe that's for a couple of years of your life and maybe we can use your example of being in the wilderness for all that time. And that ended up being, you know, the, probably the root and the key to your transformation is recognizing I'm in a place I don't want to be in but ultimately I want to be in this different place. And then obviously you go through your situation in nine years on the other side of that. So when we actually look at the timeline of your life and we look at the time you spent in the wilderness with all these doubts and everything along those lines, it actually proves to be a net positive. That's what I find when you stretch out, if you live to 100, which I hope you do, and maybe a little bit longer, we'll actually look at that as just a, a certain percentage of your life compared to the knock-on effect that that had. Because of, I would say the same about my own personal experience. When I had some challenges some years back, it then helps me become more of an emotionally intelligent person. It helps me become a better coach myself as well. So I took maybe two or three years of difficulty 
for, you know, I'd be coaching for a decade total, but that was during that time as well for, let's say, six to seven years of good from that. And that's going to continue as well. So it's interesting to make a long story short to see how the challenges within your life actually become a net positive. They're pretty terrible in that moment. And I think that we don't want to take that away. We don't want to just, you know, apply gratitude and kind of quote unquote toxic positivity to everything like bad situation can be a bad situation but when you are through the other side of that it's amazing how many people come out and say i'm so glad that happened yeah from the long view standpoint definitely the last position i had before i became a coach had an unfortunate series of episodes in that organization to make the long story short there were some less than ethical practices being carried out and I had stepped in from what I felt was an ethical or value standpoint and confronted that and to make a long story short, felt like I was wearing a target on my back for the two years that it took me to finally enter into coaching. That's become part of the story and an application of how you confront those things, how you work towards your sunset experience and how you don't compromise your values according to some what someone else may want you to do. So bottom line, I took a risk when I went into coaching. I had some income that was coming in, but it wasn't going to be enough. But I felt very led to enter into that and left the organization with my head held high. I slept at night. I didn't feel like I was doing anything illicit. And the aftermath of that a couple of years later was there were some people that did some federal prison time Wow! Uh, as a result of what they had done. So I had my integrity intact, others not so much. And some of those others, Elliot, I think they're still dealing with the aftermath of that. Even though they've been released from jail, I don't know that they fully confronted the demons that surround that. Yeah, that's an intense story and a reminder to always listen to your true value and your true intuition as well. So yeah, I like the way you summarized with that. And something I do want to transition on to, which really particularly interests me about your story as well, is how active you are remaining post-65. I think you mentioned you're 66 at this moment in time. And also how it seems like fitness has been kind of a component of your life for a fair amount of time as well. And I'm curious to hear how it has changed through the decades. I have a lot of listeners in their 30s, their 20s, their 40s, their 50s, but even their 60s as well. And a lot of people start to, as we mentioned in the very start of this podcast, slow down when it comes to their 60s. How has your approach to your health and fitness changed as you've gone through the different decades of your life? Well, in high school and college, I was a basketball player and a gym rat, so to speak. So I spent a lot of time with that and carried that on through into my 20s and early 30s. But as soon as my early 30s, I realized you're not quite as quick as you once were. You're losing a step on defense. Son, you may want to consider something else. So I was not performing at the level I wanted to. So we'll move on to something else. Concurrently, I was a runner and I'd participate in half marathons and the 10Ks and ran on my own and really enjoyed that. As I approached my late 30s and early 40s, the back really started to hurt. The knees hurt a little bit more. I was losing speed, so what is going to be next? Mitch Albom wrote the book, The Five People You Meet in Heaven. One of those was a guy named Tom who said, Kirk, you ought to come join a spitting class. It's a great workout. I think you'll really enjoy it. It's less pressure on your knees and joints and back. So I did that. So that's going into the 40s. I mentioned before the Bob moment where he was also in the class and he said, we ought to become instructors. Along that same time, this same Tom came to me and he said, there's a bike ride across Iowa that I just did. I think you'd really enjoy it. Well, it was Ragbride, the Register Annual Great Bike Ride Across Iowa. I not only did one the following year, but for the next nine years after that, he got me hooked and addicted, if you will, to riding my bike over a great distance, rewarding myself by getting to camp out each night at the end of it. But it was the camaraderie and being with folks. So I continue to do not that ride, but there's one across Georgia that I participate in now. And so having that goal of doing that every year and can I still do century rides in one day, 100 miles in one day? 
being motivated. Can I get to 50 before I can't do it anymore? I'm at 24 right now. So there's about 26 more that I'm aiming for. I don't know if I'll get there, but that's the aim. Doing these rides, doing the preparation that goes into those rides, which is actually road cycling and leading the spinning classes. And Elliot actually getting paid money from these spinning classes to spin with them and yell at people. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. I did some spinning some years back, to be completely honest. And you're pretty much, yeah, literally the only difference is you are raising your voice and you're bringing that energy. But at the same time, you're doing the same workout as the people on the opposite end of the bike. So I can definitely relate to you from that perspective as well. And what's interesting to hear about your story is that you've not really added in any soft edges. That's what I hear a lot of when people say, okay, when I went through, you know, my 40s, my 50s, you mentioned, you know, you started to get some pains in your back and your knees and, you know, the speed wasn't quite what it was, but you've kind of continued to put your foot on the gas pedal. Has there been any areas in which you've had to kind of introduce a few more soft edges or has it kind of still been foot on the gas? My speed on a bike has maybe lost a tenth or two of a, or two tenths of a mile on it. I've ridden about 2,500 miles this year so far, including all the events. So I usually try to get out once a week and it's a great weight loss routine for me because uh. I still have a high school appetite and my <laughs> wife will tell you about that. And so I don't see many foods that I don't like to eat. So I've got to offset that with the exercise, but things get harder. Walking is not as comfortable even that as it used to be. And so it comes a time I need to start investigating some alternative things to ease that. So I mentioned my wife the other day, maybe we need to take some yoga or do some stretching classes. I stretch in the morning a little bit more yeah. than I used to, to assure that I'm still going to be limbered to go out and participate in the activity. It got very hot at times this summer. I've got to cut down the mileage just a little bit before I amp that back up. So there are little things here and there, but you've just kind of changed your game. I'm not playing this game of running anymore. This is what I do now. So I would say I've graduated to that. Others would say you've been demoted, but I'm going to look at the more positive angle. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Definitely being evolution. It's just looked a little different in terms of the direction that you've gone in. And I can imagine that maybe you work with a lot of people who maybe don't put their health and fitness kind of front and center, or at least their fitness as you do when it comes to the coaching clients. And what I've recognized in the coaching that I do, it's very much a holistic system. It's a mind body type of thing. So how do you encourage some of your clients to make sure that their fitness becomes a priority? Because I can imagine you're working with people maybe in their forties, fifties and sixties who maybe haven't got that background of basketball and cycling and things like that. How do you get them to start moving in that direction, especially when it's not been something that's so kind of weaved into their DNA as it has been for you? Movement is important. If I'm talking to somebody that I recognize is sort of frozen, mm -hmm. what are you doing to move? There is some truth to the adage of make that bed in the morning. There's going to be some movement that's going to serve as a catalyst towards brushing your teeth, taking out the trash, which may lead to going for a walk, which may lead to having a conversation with somebody, going for a walk with somebody. Mm -hmm. It's just getting that momentum started and the hardest part is the first step or the first action towards that. Particularly for those of us that are older executives, 50s and 60s, what is the level of vibrancy that you're communicating? So it may be a check-in of how's your sleep going, how's your overall health, are you presenting yourself as youthful as you possibly can be presenting yourself? What's it going to take to do that? That doesn't mean uh, getting a hair transplant or Grecian formula or anything like that, but it's just what you personify, the energy that you have. And so to get that energy, there's movement that's associated. And the two are going to eventually, I find, complement each other. Uh, I talk to clients, well, I've started a walking routine. Good for you. How many hours of sleep are you getting? In seven hours. It's pretty good. How do you feel? Well, I'm getting my five rims with that. Excellent. 
What is it going to take to keep going and developing those new habits, which take about three weeks to do? You get on board with that and you take off. The formula for the health and fitness organizations that are out there, and they understand our consumer behavior. They have all these specials. Sign up to begin the year, your New Year's resolution. And I see them in the spinning classes. And by January 31st, February 1st, we're back to our normal crowd. My goal is I want to put the fitness studios out of business by showing up. Yeah, I like that idea because realistically, they are thriving off those active memberships with the inactive members. So yeah, I can definitely see what you're getting at from that perspective as well. And then I think the big thing of that as well is then people see the results, right? And as you mentioned, asking the question, well, how do you feel when you're getting that sleep? How do you feel when you are doing that walking routine as well? And I think so many people haven't got the opportunity to see what health and fitness feels like. Fortunately for you and I, you know, we've had it since a young age. So we know what that movement does for us and it kind of feels like something that we would do on a regular basis irrespective of the benefits to some degree but for many people what i found is that they haven't been used to anything different it's kind of like that lower back pain that a lot of people experience it's like well you know it's just so normal that i don't even know what life is like without and then all of a sudden they do some stretching they see a physio and they're like wow you know it's quite nice not to live without this pain so i think a lot of it is also with what you said in regards to building the habit, you know, I'm not super focused on people saying, well, whether it's three weeks or whatever it is, I want them to do it long enough so that they can see that benefit. So they've got a reason to then continue doing that thing, if you see what I mean. Well, and a little encouragement can go a long way. The 55-year-old woman who comes in and you look good if you lost weight. We're kind of scared to say those things because we feel that may be a little bit over the edge, but you can see people light up when you ask them those kinds of questions or what are you doing to get yourself into better condition because it shows and oftentimes it's just persona they're lighter they're smiling they're perkier and that just makes you look better younger if that's what you want but just more engaged yeah i've never heard that piece on like how are you presenting yourself as well because i think that's maybe a big thing that you potentially, and I would say you do very well, is that you don't present what your age should suggest. And I think that that's what so many people do as they progress through life. They believe that, okay, a 40-year-old should look, feel, and present themselves in this way. A 50-year-old should do this, and a 60-year-old should do this. And what you're essentially inviting people to say is like, okay, well, I don't necessarily want to look like I'm in my 20s, but how can I personify energy? And like you said, vibrating on a higher level as well. So I love that aspect because I think that, you know, the idea behind age is just a number can be very, very real for some, and it can be a little bit cliche for others. But the idea behind saying, okay, just bring your best energy, bring the absolute best personification that you can of yourself and not what you think you should be like at 50 or at 60 years old is probably the best advice that you could probably give people because then they show up, not what they think they should be, but what their true essence is once they allow themselves to be, I can imagine. I may be old age-wise, but I'm immature. <laughs> so that's what I'll tell people and I'm looking to enhance my maturity a little bit. Uh, it, uh, I, I, I have a... Uh, a teacher, she's in her 20s, that's in a small group that I facilitate. And so I was telling a story. Uh, we were talking about technology, social media, how do we handle it responsibly? And I went back to my old days in the 70s and when I was an adolescent kid, 12, 13, 14 years old, I had a buddy of mine in me that uh, we'd get the phone directory from the city we lived in. And we'd go through names anonymously and we made a game of it, Elliot. We would call somebody up. We had no idea who they were. And we'd say hello. And they would say hello again. And we'd say hello again. <laughs> the score, and we would do 10 rounds of that. How many hellos could you get out of the person before they finally hung up and said, who are you kids that are doing this? So I shared this with this teacher. So sure enough, this morning, I get a call. No caller ID. Hello? 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 <laughs> she did it to me. And she got four from me. And I said, all right, that's pretty good. I admire your moxie on that. 
I love that. That's brilliant. And yeah, I think it's just, like you said, inspiring a bit of youth in the way that you can and it will bring out a lot. So I really love that story. So Kirk, this has been a fantastic conversation. I do want to wrap up with a final couple of questions. And the first I have for you is what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you're doing? I want people to consider alternate paths. It doesn't have to be the way it is. And if that's not satisfactory to you, I would love to work with you to explore that, be that in career, be that in life, whatever aspect that may be. I talked about this idea of movement and motion earlier, and I think that's just so important. Do something, don't allow yourself to stagnate, and remember that first step is going to be the most difficult. Finally, be curious listen well. There's so much to be learned that's out there. Uh, For those who are younger, seek the wisdom of people that have been around and seen a lot of things. And those of us who are older, there's a lot of creativity. There's some great ideas among the youth of today. Reach for those. I love it. And where's the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing, Kirk? I'm at Kirk at theseedsowercoach.com. That's my website, theseedsowercoach.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I have a Facebook presence. Phone number, you can call or text me, 314-677-8779. And if you call and say hello, I will say hello. (laughs) Maybe we'll get four out of you. Okay, this has been an amazing conversation. It was super enlightening and very inspiring for both the youth and the people who are growing into their 50s and 60s. And I think it's a really nice reminder that it doesn't matter what age you are. It's really just about tapping into your true essence and, like I said, being open to another path and being open to bringing the best energy and the best you there is. So thank you for that message today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Elliot. I enjoyed this encounter with you and hope that our paths will cross again in the not-too-distant future. I'm sure they will. Thank you so much, Kirk. Thank you. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.